sure you agree with me when I say that we are really desperately in need of good news. This this present time and all of especially what we've endured through the last year or so really puts us in need of some good news. It would be nice to have some good news. Of course, obviously this past year has been almost completely consumed by the pandemic. Do you realize that it was just literally one year ago, exactly one year ago, when we were wrapping up about three months worth of meeting out in our parking lot? I think we were able to come back into the building uh, the first Sunday in June, but just exactly a year ago, we were still in that mode. Uh, and of course, uh, things have been locked down and there have been all kinds of restrictions for a year. Uh, I was thinking the other day that this is something that we're going to be talking about for the rest of our lives. Uh, you young people, I think you young people will be telling your grandchildren about the great pandemic of 2020. Uh, and, and all the things that were involved in that. We'll be talking about it for a long time. Of course, it's also been a year of tremendous political turmoil and civil unrest. And there's just, it seems like there's been trouble on every hand. We need some good news. Thankfully, we have that good news. Good news in the most important ways. We have the gospel message about salvation in Jesus Christ. And as you well know, the word gospel literally means good news. In the, in the New Testament, we find the record of literally thousands of people who receive the ultimate good news, that is the spiritual blessings and the eternal salvation that's available through Christ Jesus. If you were just to sort of make a quick cataloging of those in the New Testament who who found that good news, you would think, of course, first of all, of, of the 3,000 people who were saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. In Acts 4, the number had mushroomed quickly to where the number of men was estimated at 5,000. We know particularly about some of those who were converted. For instance, in Acts 8, the, the people in the city of Samaria were taught by Philip the Evangelist, who later in that same chapter had the very famous exchange with the Ethiopian eunuch. Chapter 9 of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, a great persecutor, was, was converted and became a powerful preacher of the gospel. Acts 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. Acts 16, Lydia and the Philippian jailer. Acts 18, Apollos, who was an eloquent man and became powerful in the kingdom. Acts 19, the people of the city of Ephesus, and the list goes on. People who learned the good news. Those were people about 2,000 years ago, but they learned good news, and it is the same good news that we need and is available to us. All of those people that we just mentioned and more receive these blessings from Jesus. But you know what's interesting? Among all of those various characters that we name, there is maybe one who received blessings from Jesus who's better known than any of those that we mentioned. And the fellow that I have in mind is the thief on the cross. Jesus said today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why would people latch on to information about the thief on the cross. Why, why would he be uh, a more appealing story than all of those other thousands that we just mentioned? 
I think the answer to that is probably pretty obvious. Here's a guy who lived his life without apparent serious regard for God. Uh, and in his dying breath, he was able to acknowledge the Lord and be saved with no apparent effort on his own part, without really ever having to do anything. People like that idea. They like the idea that they can live their life not really regarding God. And in the last moments of their life, they can just acknowledge Him and be saved. That's, that's an appealing thing to lots of people. And so people are aware of the story about the thief on the cross. We want to look at the thief on the cross for a few moments this morning. But do it in a little bit different way. As you see on the screen, what we want to do is we want to talk about what this fellow apparently obviously knew some truths that he was aware of, some truths that we need to be aware of also. So we want to talk about some important things that the thief knew. The text for our study is going to be the one that Roger read for us just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 39. And so we'll dive into that here in just a minute. I want to stop before we go further and say thank you to all who are here this morning. We're grateful for your presence, glad that you're able to be with us. As James mentioned in his announcements, we have lots of visitors today. We're very glad for our visitors. We hope you come back every time you have a chance. And we're always open to your questions about what we're doing here at College View and why. If you have any questions about what you see or hear this morning, we hope you'll bring those to our attention. And uh, we'll we'll try to give a Bible answer. We're trying to follow the Bible just as carefully as we can. the songs that we sang that Josh led us in just a few moments ago emphasized that idea of following the scriptures carefully in all that we do. Thanks for being here today. What about this thief on the cross? What were the things that he knew? Well, first, a very simple thing, and that is he understood that there is a God and that God is to be feared. Remember when his fellow thief, this fellow malefactor, as Luke calls him here, when when he had railed on Jesus, notice it starts out here, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, dost not thou fear God? Do you not fear God? He said, Obviously, the implication is that is that he himself understood the need to fear God. There is a God, and God is to be feared. Today, in our world, it seems like it is not too stylish or sophisticated to believe in God. And uh, fairly often, you'll hear some supposedly intellectual people saying that really the whole notion of religion is sort of a a crutch for weak people. Weak people need something to lean on, and so that's where religion actually came from. There's no real basis for it, but intellectually uninformed people and emotionally weak folks need some kind of a crutch to get them through life, and so they have dreamed up the whole idea of God. That's where God came from, and it's not true, and if you had any good sense, you would not be believing in God. Again, that's the, that's the storyline that we're hearing more and more in our world. This thief on the cross knew better than that. He knew that there is a God. God is. And we need to understand that true, uh, truth as well. 
We're not going to dive into the extensive evidence for the existence of God. We've talked about that before. No doubt we'll talk about that again in the future. But I really want it to be understood by us all. There, there is no doubt that there is a God in heaven. It's, it's really not even seriously debatable. There are people who would, who, would, who would want to debate it. But if you take all the evidence into consideration... It's not seriously debatable. There is a God. I hope our young people will stay grounded in that. Sadly, we've seen more and more young people who leaving the faith and denying the existence of God. And although they might want to present themselves in this sophisticated, enlightened way, it's not true. They are not enlightened. They have, they are not taking into account the evidence that is available. There is a God. Now notice also, not only is there a God, but God is to be feared. We understand that in the scriptures, the word fear is used a couple of different ways. One is to be held in high reverence or respect or awe, and certainly we ought to fear God that way. But my guess is that the thief on the cross here had the idea of fearing God in the sense of being actually afraid of him. There is a God, dost not thou fear God? Uh, was his question. We definitely need to understand that although God is a great and good and loving and merciful and gracious God, He is a God to be feared if we do not do His will. In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 29, it says simply, Our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Be aware of that. Uh, Don't take this whole idea of God lightly. There is a God, and you should be afraid of what happens if you don't do His will. In our Sunday morning Bible class here in the auditorium, we just concluded our long study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And at the very end of that powerful book, Solomon put it so directly. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's what it's all about. And so the thief knew this, and we need to know that too. So for all of those who want to be saved like the thief on the cross, we would simply ask them, well, would you be, would you be willing to make this acknowledgement that there is this powerful God of heaven who is to be feared. Of course, if you feared him, then that would also suggest that you would be doing what he said. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on here. A second thing that I think is obvious that the thief knew is that wrongdoing deserves to be punished. So he said to the other thief, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. And so here's the three of them hanging on these crosses. And the one is railing on Jesus. The other says, How could you be railing on Him when you are suffering the same punishment? And he says, You deserve it. I deserve it. We're suffering the same condemnation and we are... We are getting what we deserve. Now, in that statement, he, he actually says something that men today tend to ignore, or want to ignore anyway, and that is that when we do wrong, we deserve to be punished. I saw a news headline just this week 
that in the city of San Francisco in California, a determination has been made that you can steal anything up to $1,000 and not be prosecuted. And so there are stores that are actually having to close in California because basically they have given a license to every shoplifter in the, in the city. You can go into any city, take as much as you want up to $1,000. If you stay under $1,000, we will not come after you. We will not prosecute you. Uh, I, I think it's pretty obvious why stores would close. How, how can you stay in business when the city is officially announced that they won't punish those who are wrongdoers. This thief on the cross knew that when you do wrong, you deserve to be punished for the wrong that you do. In Romans, excuse me, I want to go back here. In Romans chapter uh, 13, beginning verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to the role of civil government in punishing those who do wrong. Romans 13, beginning verse 3, Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to, uh, to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So actually, government has a God-ordained role, an important one punishing those who do evil. The thief understood those who do wrong deserve to be punished. First Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 13. First Peter 2, beginning verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. No, civil government sent to punish evildoers. So, yes... Wrongs deserve to be punished. They deserve to be punished in, in this physical world. That's a, that should be a reality of our physical existence. But we know that the far greater judgment will come from God himself against evil men. In Romans chapter 14, verse 11, uh, it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us will give account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Wrongs deserve to be punished. In this physical world, they deserve to be punished. We know that God will punish in eternity those who have done wrong. The thief seemed to know that when he made this statement on the cross. Let me suggest to you that he also understood that Jesus was blameless. He had just said, we're in the same condemnation. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Notice, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Jesus was sinless and blameless. Uh, many people in the world today deny that. It's very common to hear people say things like, well, Jesus was a very good man, uh, a, a great philosopher and, and, uh, and an important moral teacher, but he wasn't perfect. He had his faults. He sinned like others do. You know, there have been a number of movies in recent years that tried to depict Jesus in that way. 
that he, that he was a, he was a good teacher, but he had his moral weaknesses just like everybody else does. I want to tell you, if that's the case, then we've got nothing here. We might as well close the service right now, turn the lights out, lock the doors, and never come back. If that is the right view of Jesus, that he was just a good teacher, but not a perfect man, then we've got nothing. We've got nothing at all. The thief knew better than that. The thief knew that he had done nothing amiss. That sort of suggests to me that even a man like this thief knew that Jesus' reputation was widely known. And it was understood to be true about Jesus that he was a good man without sin. We know that the scriptures teach us definitively that he was such. Uh, Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible claim is Jesus did no sin. Not that he was just a good man, but that he was actually literally sinless. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. In fact, again, just to emphasize, his sinless perfection is essential for our salvation. If it it was not true, is not true, that Jesus lived a sinless life, then he cannot be the adequate sacrifice for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 calls him a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he himself was sinless. Anything less than that, anything less than that Jesus was perfect and sinless makes him an ineffectual savior for us and leaves us in a hopeless condition. The thief on the cross understood that Jesus was blameless. The thief also understood that death is not the end. And the reason we know that he understood there was something more beyond physical death, or as we might say, something beyond the grave, although this fellow almost certainly didn't even receive what we would call a proper burial. It was very common for those who were crucified in those days to just be cut down from the cross and left for the wild beast to devour. Or at a maximum, maybe to be thrown in some sort of a mass grave and covered up. It was actually a rare thing that Jesus was buried as he was. Having been crucified, the fact that he was taken down and his body prepared and he was placed in a tomb, a rich man's tomb at that, that was unusual treatment. That would not have typically happened to a crucifixion victim. And so it's very possible... Perhaps maybe even likely that this thief on the cross would not have received what we would call a proper burial. But even at that, he understood there's something beyond death. Or as we would say, something beyond the grave. And the reason we know that is it's it's implied in his statement when he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. His statement shows that he had knowledge of a couple of things. One is that death would not stop Jesus from accomplishing his ends or goals. 
Jesus had himself predicted that when he died, it would not be over. Do you remember in John chapter 2, uh, when he made a statement that the Jews tried to misuse? In, in John chapter 2, Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, of course, that, that enraged the Jews. They thought he was talking about Herod's temple there in Jerusalem, that, that magnificent building uh, that King Herod had rebuilt in Jerusalem. Uh, they said 40 and 6 years was this built, was this, uh, temple in building. They said, how's he gonna tear it down and build it back in three days? But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body, John says. And so, uh, Jesus prophesied death would not be the end for him. And of course, that's a, that's a incredibly important thing for us to know too, that Jesus' own death did not end it for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 beginning, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, if when he did, if he, when he died, he was dead and it was over, and we got, again, we have nothing. This thief knew that that would not be the end for Jesus, and it was not. But what I think is also interesting is, he knew that death wouldn't be the end for him either, that he had an existence beyond physical death. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He saw that his existence would extend beyond death as well. And we need to realize that also. A verse that we often reference is John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming and now is, when all that are in the grave shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. As we mentioned in our Bible class again this morning, there's going to be a general resurrection of the dead. All will come forth unto final judgment. This thief seemed to understand something. Maybe he didn't have perfect comprehension of it, but he knew that his physical death and Jesus' physical death would not be the end. We need, we need to know that too. There are so many people in our time who seem to be living for this present physical moment as though right now is all there is. They're wrong about that. The thief knew better and we should know better. So if you look at that list, I think it's impressive to consider what the thief on the cross knew. He knew there was a God to be feared, wrongs deserve punishment, Jesus was himself blameless, there's something beyond death. Now, for all the people who want to be saved like the thief on the cross, would they be willing to admit these basic, essential, fundamental truths? The thief knew that, right? Would they be willing to say that, yes, I agree with all of that as well? That'd be interesting to ask them that question. But finally, we've got to just ask the question, can we be saved like the thief on the cross? That's the big question, right? Because everybody, you even hear them use that expression, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross. Well, in answer to that, we have to say, no, uh, you can't be saved that way for a very simple reason. The simple reason is that Jesus is not here personally to grant that blessing directly. Uh, don't, don't lose sight of the, of the scenario there, the circumstance, the literal setting. Both Jesus and this thief on the cross were alive 
And they were communicating back and forth, right? And so Jesus was alive and could extend a blessing to him directly. The thief on the cross is not the only person that Jesus thus blessed while he was here on earth. I know you're familiar with other episodes where Jesus forgave sins of people, right? And that sometimes drew the ire of the Jews. But Jesus more than once said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And so other people besides the thief on the cross received a direct spiritual blessing from Jesus while he was alive here to bestow such direct blessings. But the fact of the matter is that he's not here anymore. And that being the case, we learn his will by what is revealed. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 1, it says, God, who in sundry times and diverse manners spake in the past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. We learn what we need to do by the revealed word of God. Um, that revealed will, and what sometimes we call it the New Testament, right? It's the last, sort of what we would maybe in legal terminology refer to as the last will and testament of Jesus. When does, when does your will go into effect? Well, it goes into effect when you die, right? Today, while, while we're living we could bestow what we have on others directly, you know. And so to my children, I could say, I give you this, I give you that, I give you, I don't have a lot to give, but I could give what I've got, and I could do it directly, and nobody could challenge that. I could give, while I'm still living, I can give away what I have to whomever I will, any way I want. But after I die, then the only way that anybody can get any of what I had is how it is described in my will right so after i die you got to go to the will and testament to find out what to be done with the things i have that's easy to understand and that's exactly the case we have with jesus while he was alive he could bestow that direct blessing on the thief on the cross but after he's dead the only way to get his blessing is by what's revealed in his last will and testament. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning verse 16 says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Uh, that's, that's a simple truth that we all comprehend. And that's the case with the thief on the cross. You can't be saved like him in the sense that Jesus would bestow a direct personal blessing on you. That's not possible. But you can be saved, and you can be saved by virtue of the blessings that Jesus makes available that are revealed in the Word. You can be saved. Not exactly like the thief on the cross, but you can be saved. uh, And that opportunity is available to us through the promises of God's Word. What's your situation this morning? Have, have you taken advantage of that blessing that comes through Jesus Christ? Have you been saved from your past sins? Are you a member of His body, the church? Do you have that great hope of heaven when this life is over? If not, then you need to come to, to the Lord on the terms set forth in His last will and testament. He told us what to do to be saved. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. Have you done that? If not, if you, if you know that and you understand your need to do that, 
We'd be anxious to assist in your obedience today. We'd also be more than anxious to sit down and study with you if you have questions that need to be answered. If we can help you in that, let us know. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen back and not been faithful to your Lord, we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.